Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in beautiful, sunny, Point Pleasant, New Jersey. That's right, I have a friend, a close family friend, who hit me up earlier this week and said, you know, Clayton, no one's using the beach house this weekend if you feel like grinding some poker. So, uh, yeah, with friends like that, I'm, I'm good to go. Uh, I'm living the Jersey, Jersey Shore lifestyle. Uh, I give myself a nickname, Wow. I kind of like it. Uh, I got a job at the local t-shirt shop. I have to make it short today, guys, because I I have to get to the gym and uh, get a tan and do some laundry. But before I can do any of that, I got to welcome back to the podcast an absolutely amazing guy, uh, one of our best interviews we've ever had. Uh, He's a returning guest. He is a, a an absolute crusher. He's got over $8 million in lifetime earnings, both online and live. And he is uh, also, more importantly to me at least, the founder and CEO of the charity series of poker. You know him. You'll love him. Mr. Matthew Stout. Matt, how are you, buddy? Pretty, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> nice. Nice. So uh, how's WSOP.com treating you? Last time I saw it, you were just like cashing and everything. Is it still going well? Um, Yeah, I've cashed in a few of the bracelet events. I haven't had quite the get our circuit events now with bracelet events going on, but I'm going to I'm going to catch a little heat at the end, I think. Yeah, been saving it. Yeah, you got you know you got to get hot when the timing is, is you know timing is everything. You got to get hot at the right moment. Nobody wants to cash. I mean, yeah, sure, it's fine to make a final table in like a four hundred dollar turbo, but you're waiting for the big money at the end, right? Of course. I mean, um, min cashing and finishing eighth is not uh, not going to pay the bills. So, um, <laughs> especially with a baby now, there's there's more bills than ever, and uh, those top three spots are really where I'd like to be every time my final table. Of course, and you're all about that dad life now. How is the baby? Everybody wants to know. He is unbelievable. I get up with him like half the mornings at like six o'clock in the morning. I've never, I never thought I would be excited to get up at six o'clock in the morning. Smile, just excited for what the day is going to bring. I'm like, oh, look at that. Someone who doesn't understand life yet. It's cute. He's still positive and <laughs> all these things are good. He's just like excited to, to, to be alive another day. It's, it's a beautiful thing. He's amazing. The joy really- of not understanding life yet. Yeah. It's a wonderful <laughs> thing. <laughs> like, that baby has no idea that Donald Trump's president. <laughs> and good for him. You know, good for him. It's nice. It's nice. It must be nice. Yeah. Um, so I know you wanted to uh, talk about a hand uh, that you played, and I'm very interested in, in hearing your thoughts and getting a little bit into your poker mind. But first, got to ask you, what's going on with CSOP? It must be really hard to uh, keep things going when everything's shut down. Have you been able to do any events? Oh, no. Unfortunately, so far, we're just starting to plan our uh, St. Jude online event. going to try to put together something online for Three Square as well. Still uh, working on final logistics on where we're going to be hosting that so that everyone will be able to play. And uh, 
we should be up and running with that pretty soon with all the info and a landing page where you can buy into the St. Jude event, which is going to be Saturday, September 12th. We're working on trying to replicate the live event that we we're supposed to have in April as best we can in terms of having a Zoom feed as well as the online tournament so people can have one browser tab open with the tournament running and one uh, one browser tab with our MC talking about St. Jude and all the amazing things they do for childhood cancer research and treatment. And uh, really just kind of doing our best to deal with the pandemic, trying to adjust. And we are tentatively planning a, an event benefiting a local uh, autism charity, FEAT, F-E-A-T, uh, planning that one for November 13th, but keeping our ear to the street and seeing if it's going to be feasible by then. Otherwise we'll probably just move that on, uh, event online as well. But the, the St. Jude event on September 12th is going to be a lot of fun. We're still going to be playing for a world series poker main event seat for first and going to try to do our best to really have a good time with it and benefit one of the most amazing causes I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, St. Jude's is my absolute favorite charity. So uh, you know, I'll be I'll be there. I'll at least donate a few buy-ins to the cause, if nothing else. <laughs> Always happy to participate. Uh, for those who have never attended one of uh, Matt's charity series of poker events, they're so much fun. If you've never played in a charity tournament, uh, the vibe is totally different. First of all, half the people there are just wealthy people who want to do something for a good cause, and they don't even know how to play. And the drinks are flowing. Everyone's laughing. And I mean, yeah, I mean, of course it's poker, but it's a totally different brand of poker, wouldn't you say? For sure. That's kind of what we're going for. It's it's a definitely a grind for us a lot of the time when we play the game for a living and have to try to take it so seriously all the time. So it's a lot of fun for us to just be able to kind of kick back and have a lot of fun playing, not really care about the result, not care about how we play each hand and just be idiots and have chance for everybody while he encourages everyone to play as recklessly as he normally does <laughs> an altogether different experience and uh it, whether you're like i know a lot of people are also intimidated by the idea of playing against like a bunch of big name pros because we have a decent number of them at each event and but it's really just a great opportunity for people who are intimidated by playing poker in a casino to play it in a completely relaxed environment have some drinks you'll have world poker tour and world series poker champions sitting there like having a few drinks and they'll explain to you like how the blinds work and whose turn it is to act and no one really cares they don't get frustrated like they would if you went into like a regular game and uh had no idea what was going on and were slowing down the action yeah one of the first csop events that i attended i sat at a table with paul wasica and daniel negranu and the three of us were probably the poker players at the table and everybody else had no idea what they were doing. And I think that the three of us did about a hundred rebuys <laughs> while there was just this absolutely <laughs> crazy drunk rich guy that just uh, was winning every hand with any two cards. And uh, it really does show you, uh, you know, any two will do, especially in a charity event where the whole point is, Every time you bust out, you have to do a rebuy, and then the, those rebuys go to the to the cause. So uh, it kind of we always encourage everybody to play a little bit crazy. But this guy was taking it next level, and I swear Negranu couldn't win a hand against him. It was funny. 
Yeah, you get a lot of that, and I'm sure Negreanu didn't care. Um, it's hard to care in these events. Where like once you get really deep, and there's a World Series of Poker main event seed or a large amount of cash on the line, people start to get a little bit serious about it. But I mean, until you get down to the final table, it's just all a lot of drinking and laughing, and that usually continues at the final table as well, while, like, two or three people take it seriously. Yeah, but even the ones who are taking it seriously have, like, four big blinds at that point, so we'll see who wins. Yeah, <laughs> we don't want to waste people's time too much with these events. Yeah, it's a yeah. turbo, a super, a super turbo, if you will. So uh, I'm looking forward to the next one. I hope that the November one uh, gets to go off without a hitch. I'd love to attend if possible. Um, but if nothing else, uh, we'll, we will share the link. If you will send it to me, Matt, we'll share the link for the, the September event, online event for uh, you know, St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. So uh, we're all about it here. So <laughs> We appreciate it, buddy. So what else is happening yeah, in, your, in your world? Are you, you in Vegas? I was doing a podcast. I was like, obviously. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, Vegas right now, yeah. All right, so you're in Vegas. It's 148 degrees, I assume. I don't know. I don't leave my house. <laughs> Smart man. I, I get some really good air conditioning. <laughs> Keeps it nice and cold in here. I have no idea what's going on outside these doors. That's the way to go. Well, uh, you know, we love you. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Um, now let's talk about poker. When you sit down to play in one of these, WSOP.com. Now, I've been kidding around about how they're calling it a world series of poker but it's not even a u.s series of poker it's really just a two states series <laughs> of poker <laughs> so when you compete with uh your fellow nevadans as well as those of us that make it to new jersey uh come hell or high water uh do you start off with kind of a game plan in mind uh have you i mean i know you spent a lot of time on this site do you have you noticed kind of general patterns or do you just kind of see how things go. I like to say I always try to be the chameleon. I uh not really thing with a set game plan. Usually I want to see how my table's playing, react to it, see how the fields are and adapt to that. Uh I already have a pretty good idea of who's who and who plays how since I I play on the site a lot more than most people do. So I've been playing against a lot of these New Jersey regs for years and I've been able to get a lot of those tags in and a lot of hands noted so that I have a better idea than most of who's going to be punting and who's actually there to win. And um, But yeah, I mean, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't think of it as like a set game plan. I mean, just trying to make money for the family right now. However, I need to make that money, whether it's playing tight, playing loose, going after it. I try to be ready to adapt and do whatever I need to do. Now, how excited do you get when you open up one of your wsop.com tables and you see clay fletch right there on your screen does that make your mouth water i mean is that like a yum yum situation or what i mean it's it's pretty dreamy i'm not gonna lie <laughs> yeah don't lie whatever you do please don't lie yeah i mean it's uh we know there's gonna be some big pots we're gonna be splashing around a little it's good times good times yeah i mean I, I, <laughs> i'm not i'm not the most conservative player as, uh, as all of our listeners already know <laughs> so yeah we'll get in there and mix it up it's hard to win pots by it's hard to win pots by folding yeah i i don't like folding folding's no good i mean folding to me is like giving up so it's just not really a big part of my strategy <laughs> so another thing that's been new for you is you're a twitch streamer now how is that going tell everybody about your twitch stream i uh i 
finally got around to getting set up so that I can stream some twitching. Um, I, uh, I've been planning on doing this for a while. I mostly just uh, the, the charities that CSOP supports, raise some money for them. Now with the plan of doing some online events, it ties in really well so that I have a better finger on the pulse of what's going on in the Twitch community and am able to have an idea of what works, what doesn't work, and what we should try to focus on to try to make the CSOP Twitch stream successful. It's been fun so far. I've uh, Justin Kelly is awesome and did a lot to help me get set up with a, a nice layout and did a bunch of custom video clips for me so that I can play ridiculous things like Kenny Power saying, you're fucking out when I <laughs> lost people. And it, it's spoiler any of my others, but I have several video clips lined up from my favorite shows and movies. And I play them when it's appropriate or inappropriate, however you want to look at it during the stream. And uh, I've been having fun with it so far. Don't have a huge following yet, but got to start putting in the work if I want to get that, uh, get that following going we can certainly help with that what is the uh, link twitch.tv slash matt stout poker all right m-a-t-t-s-t-o-u-t-p-o-k-e-r on twitch so definitely want to check that out uh i've peeked in on you once or twice uh i think you should go ahead and spring for the rights to some decent music if i may <laughs> well <laughs> yeah, that's one of the issues I found out that uh, if I played any uh, copyrighted music that they were supposedly going to kick me off Twitch or ban me or not let me stream. But uh, apparently they've loosened that a little bit. So people are back to playing normal music. I had to just go on YouTube and find some non-copyrighted music so that me uh, Silently trying to play ten tables when I wasn't analyzing hands wasn't going to be too boring. A lot of our do... listeners would probably love to just watch you do that and try to figure out what what you're doing and why. Uh, is it cards up? You have a delay. Cards up, five minute delay. Four minute right now. I'm probably going to up it to five. Interesting thing happened the other day. Um, I was playing a pot in the bracelet of against Max Pescatori, and I ended up making a big fold on the river. And right as I opened up his Twitch stream to find out what he had, I realized before I even folded that if I had time banked, I would have seen his hand. Ooh. Uh, yeah. He only had his stream delay set to three minutes. So I went in and I was like, Max, you need to increase your delay, buddy. I could have seen your hand before I folded. And he was like, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> um. So he increases hopefully to five minutes. I think what you need, they call it getting stream sniped. Uh, so I think that it's really important to be careful about that. Um, I'm probably going to up mine from four minutes back to five. It hurts viewer engagement because then it's one extra minute from when you type something in chat or whenever I see it to when I actually reply on the stream. So it's harder to have a flow of conversation with the viewers that way, but obviously my game security needs to come first, and I need to make sure that I'm not just showing my opponent my cards before they make their decision after time banking the river. For sure, yeah. I, would, I wouldn't have thought that you would need a whole five minutes, but I guess especially in some of the higher stakes games, people really do take their time in making all their decisions, and a hand that has a lot of action 
uh, it could take a five minute. Yeah, I, I can see where it would take more than four minutes anyway. Yeah, I mean, even just assuming it just goes back call or check call, whatever, like it, it can be, assume three actions per street, 45 seconds, pre-flop, 45 seconds on the flop. Um, it, it can easily get up to three, four minutes in a hand without people using their time bank. Matt, do you find that when you're doing a Twitch stream that you are more or less focused on what you're doing because you know people are watching, or do you think it doesn't have an effect on you either way? I mean, it can have a minor effect, but I'm not that concerned about it. I assume that people have a pretty good idea of how I play anyway. I've played on plenty of live-streamed and televised final tables. I've played in W Coops with whole cards up. So it can definitely have an impact, but I don't think it's an enormous impact. And I don't think that it's going to really make all that much of a difference one way or another. I could easily be wrong about that, but um, I mean, it can make a difference. Like if someone saw that I bluffed them a few minutes earlier and I don't know that they're watching the stream, they may be more likely to call me down later after, but... I mean, there's a lot of meta that I'm only privy to half the information on, but um, I, I'm not really all that concerned about it. Yeah, I mean, I think you tend to stay one step ahead of the of the curve, as it were. So that's cool. I'm glad you're doing that. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Uh, I'm sure that everyone will uh, check out your your Twitch, uh, Matt Stout Poker. All right, so why don't we get into some strategy? You mentioned that you had a hand we could talk about. Yep. I uh, found a fun one that I played heads up uh, at the final table of the ACR 215 125K nice. a couple months ago during my probably my biggest online heater ever. Uh, had four wins in eight final tables for with uh, well over 300K in winnings, net profit 270K in a week. <laughs> That's so a pretty good week. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't suck at all. Yeah, I'd say that's a fine week. All right, so yeah. what we'll do uh, when we get to your turn to make a decision, uh, before you tell us what you did, we'll talk about what you could do, and uh, we'll go from there. How's that? Sounds good. So we start off the hand uh, about 29 big blinds deep. He raises on the button, and I defend with jack four of clubs. Okay, so we're in the big blind. Yep, big blind, jack four clubs. The blinds are 16 and 32K, and he has nine points. Great. I have about 21 million, so I have him about 2.2 to 1 in chips. He min raises to 640,000. I call with jack four clubs. Pretty standard, heads up. Sure. And flop comes, 8-4 deuce with two clubs. Obviously a pretty dreamy flop for my junkie hand. I check, he bets... 340k which is just barely over one big blind and about a quarter pot so we could raise here i i think probably most of us would raise here like i mean i would be happy to get it in you got a pair and a flush draw heads up against you know a, a fairly aggressive opponent um is yeah, there any I mean, is there any if we were playing full ring against like an early position raise i wouldn't be as inclined to raise for value yeah, but any pair heads up is probably some. good a lot. Yeah, it's a lot easier to get value out of horse heads up here than it would be in other spots. So it's definitely a hand that I'm more liable to raise in this spot. All right, so now we just have to talk about sizing. I mean, you you have uh, it's 29 big blinds effective, right? Yep. So 
stack to pot ratio wise, once I call the 340, there'll be about 2 million in the middle, and he has 8 million back. So we're still playing like 4 stack to pot ratio. Okay, so SPR is around four. Yes, yeah, so SPR when we started the flop, uh, started the flop action was like six and a half to seven. Oh, okay. But right. now, now once he call, uh, once I call the three forty on the flop, my raise sizing will be based on a shallower stack to pot ratio. So I check raise here to one point six four million. So okay. it's about two thirds pot, two thirds to three quarters pot. And it's about four and a half times. The original bet is that right? Yeah, his sizing was super small. So this is one other thing that a lot of people kind of fall into the trap of. Um, when your opponent bets really small, it doesn't mean that you share their sizing. You should be basing it on the size of the pot and the the price that you're laying your opponent there for. So I think of it more in terms of what percentage of the pot am I betting, regardless of what sizing they used. So. In my head, I look at it more as once I call 340, there's 2 million in the pot, I raise 1.3. So I raise two-thirds pot because um, I'm raising 1.3 more on top of 340. And if I called the 340, there were 2 million. Yeah, I expect to get called here a lot of times by overcards, um, straight draws, ace-3, three, 3-5, three, even 6-5 as a double gutter. And he may just call and float with 6-7 or 5-7 for a gut shot, even especially if he has a backdoor flush draw with it. So these are sort of the hands I'm targeting. And if he has a deuce axe, he may call a check raise on the flop, even though it's going to be hard to get more value out of that on future streets. Right. Now, what is the plan? I, I assume that if he shoves, we're just going to happily call it off, right? I mean, I wouldn't say happily, but <laughs> yeah, we're, def we're definitely calling it off. We expect to potentially be beat by 8x a lot or a better four even if he does shove but definitely not going to check raise fold this hand we have too much equity against pretty much any hand he could possibly have because if he has a better flush draw than we have a pair and our head now if he has any there's no even if he has a set we're only a three to one dog which obviously isn't ideal but is also super unlikely heads up yeah, that makes sense. And I really like this idea of not basing your raise size on the bet size because when we when we base it on the other player's bet size, we we're effectively allowing that player to dictate, you know, to some degree our action. So some players might bet really small expecting you to if you do raise to kind of keep things manageable and you just throw that out the window. You say I'm going to do two two thirds of the pot regardless of the fact that you only bet a quarter of the pot. And so that kind of shoves it back in his face a little bit. I really like that. I mean, that's a really good tip for our listeners uh, who might be used to just saying, well, I'm going to 3X. Yeah, because if I 3X is quarter pot bet, I'm only raising like one third of the pot. And I'm leaving him um, some of like, so it, it's just too small. It's giving him too much control, too. You're letting him get away with what he's trying to do and keeping the pot small. Yeah, we kind of, uh, you know, retake control of how we want to size it instead of letting them dictate whether they want to go big or go small on sizings. I love it. You know, from a metagame standpoint, kind of part of my approach to poker, I, I want to see if you agree with this kind of generally. I like to try to figure out what my opponent wants me to do and then disappoint him if possible. Yeah, of course. <laughs> right. So. It's kind of the opposite of comedy where I try to figure out what the audience wants and try to give it to them 
I mean, poker, I just try to give them the opposite of what they actually want. So, but it's still about reading people and trying to figure out what they, what they want. And so I think that sometimes when we get into a GTO mindset, if you will, we forget that there's another human being who has a desired outcome on the other end. And if you play too mathematically and you're not trying to read into, well, why would this guy bet so small? One reason is because he, he might be trying to keep the pot manageable. And then when you make this big raise, when he was trying to entice you to either just call or make a much smaller raise, then you effectively disappoint him, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm I'm just trying uh, trying to take him outside his comfort zone. I'm trying to make sure that he's not going to accomplish. So, I mean, I love GTO for short stack play, but I don't worry that much about how a solver would approach a lot of the deep stack situations because playing GTO is going to miss too much juice against the people I'm playing against. I'm not in there trying to battle with the the super high rollers. Um, so most of the tournaments I play are going to be good value tournaments that are going to have plenty of soft spots that you'd be missing a lot of juice by playing GTO against. How do you think you would fare, by the way, if you did step into that high roller world? I mean, do you have do you have that do you do that kind of study? Where do you think you could, if you had to be a GTO bot, do you think you could do it? Yeah, I mean, I think that I have it in me to to put in the hours, put in the work, learn everything I need to learn. Um, I just kind of got to a point in my career where I had to decide if I wanted to have a normal life and have balance and be able to focus on CSOP and do all these other things, or if I really just wanted to go full-time play poker and do nothing else and i just i couldn't choose the latter even if i thought that i in the world didn't fit with my overall personal mission and what i wanted to do like i wanted to have a family i wanted to have kids it's not really feasible to try to have that life of balancing life uh, or balancing like family life and super high roller life so i didn't want to travel as much i was already kind of burnt out on traveling I decided to play less tournaments, focus on CSOP, play a lot more PLO cash. I play a ton at Aria now, like 5-5-10, 25-25, whatever runs. Uh, I play bigger if the games are really good. But I I just I wanted to be able to travel less, stay home more, play online a little bit, play live cash, be able to play my, dictate my own hours decide when I'm going to go home and see my son before bed and not just be like, well, I'm still in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm Thanks. with you hundred yeah. percent. All right. So, uh, enough digression. We have check raised and then what happened? So, Oh, we're still in a poker ham. Would you look at that? Yeah. Let's Crazy. refresh. We have a Jack four of clubs heads up for the title on ACR. Uh, we called a raise from out of position and then flopped middle pair in a flush draw and check raised it big. Yep, flop eight four deuce. We check raise three twenty or three forty to one point six four million. He calls, so now there's four point six million in the pot. He has six point nine million behind. So the turns an offsuit king boards eight four deuce king. I decide to continue betting for value. I still expect to get called by some straight draws, maybe have him spaz out if I bet the right sizing, and he may just bluff all in, semi-bluff all in with a straight draw or with a worse four or even with a deuce. Um, so 
I decided to go with a sizing of 2.64 million, which I don't like in retrospect. I think I should have actually bet probably something along the lines of 1.8 million and give him more perceived fold equity to try to semi bluff. Yeah, I like that. The idea of perceived fold equity, because if you bet smaller, he might say, well, you know, I still have, you know, 6 million more on top. So I, I can maybe get stout to fold whatever it is that he's betting here. But when you bet, you know, the sizing you did, he might not feel like he can actually spaz out uh, or we can, we might not be able to convince him to spaz out because he might not think that he can get you off of whatever you're betting. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the things that I like about reviewing my own hands, hands that opportunity to identify what I didn't like about what I did in game and try to get better about fixing those things in game, which is difficult. I mean, you have 15 seconds to act plus time bank or whatever. You're often on other tables. I'm pretty sure I was on a couple other tables at this point. So I don't have all that much time. So I'm not going to come up with the same uh, result as I will when I have like four minutes sitting here looking at the flop after we just go into a digression. And then, you know, five to 10 minutes later, I've had all this time to think about what sizing I want to use on the turn. And then I see myself bet 2.6 and I'm like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. No, I mean, hand history review is very important. <laughs> Even a tournament that you won, like you win this tournament, right? But you still probably made uh, a lot of plays that you would like to uh, have played better. I mean, it didn't affect the outcome because you still had the best possible outcome of winning first place, but you still you learn from reviewing your hands. I like when I when I have a tournament where I played a lot of hands, with, you know, because I ran deep, and then go back and say, well, I could have done a lot better in this tournament if I would have, you know, done some different things sizing wise, or maybe, you know, in my case, not try to win every pot so much. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's good to go buy some breaks, you know. Eventually, you want to slow down. You'll learn one day. It's fine. <laughs> I actually yeah. I went back and forth at the beginning of my career. I started out just uh, psycho aggressive. Just my standard C bet was to like double barrel and bomb river unless you raised me ever. Just <laughs> no matter what the run out was, no matter what my hand was, it was just pure unbridled aggression. And then I realized I was a nit and I went off the deep end again. But this time, this time I had a little more of an idea of how to play, and then just went off the deep end of psycho aggression. Had to reel it in again. It, it was just like a back and forth earlier in my career, which was like moneymaker era time when it it didn't matter. If you if you thought about how you were playing your hands, you were already ahead of 90% of the competition. They were just flicking chips in and just seeing who wins. It was Those beautiful. were the good old days. Yeah. All right. Well, so, yeah, so we have a 2.6. And uh, so we were hoping that our opponent might spaz out with a worse four or something, or straight draw. Or just hear, continue heroing us with ace high or call yeah, that's the fine. worst four or whatever. There's a call one more time with straight draws, especially three, five. Ace three, ace five both have some showdown value, so they may call this turn hoping it goes check, check on the river if they brick. And six call again since they're both double gutted or open-ended. I expect them to probably fold out like the the six seven suited five seven suited gut shots though, um, which are hands that I could have just checked turn and tried to go for go for a check shove to try to induce one more bet out of those, but we decided to bet two point six into four point six. He calls, and now we're only playing half pot effective on the river, which is another important concept. Is that 
on the turn, I should have planned this so deeper on the river makes it easier for me to navigate how to play some rivers if we're um, slightly deeper. It's harder to expect him to bluff for less than half pot, for example. So um, I would have liked to have bet 1.8 instead of 2.6 on the turn to leave him 5.1 on the river, and that way we would also have um, another... So we'd have 5 million into like 8.6 instead of 4.3 into 9.9 million. I agree that on the turn, uh, 1.8 is a better sizing than 2.6. But I wonder if the check raise that you mentioned a minute ago isn't the best play of all. Right. I do love the check raise, check raise line. <laughs> it's one of my favorites to take. It's because a lot of times, especially now, it seems like a lot of people are calling check raises to see if you're light and see if you're going to barrel and then they just snap fold turn. So the more and more I see that, the more and more I love going back to the old school double or triple check raise attempt, um, which is a good way to try to get them to float the check raise or call with a medium strength hand and see if we can induce another bet on the turn before we check raise them off their um, weak draws and things like that. You know, we were actually just talking about this a few weeks ago with one of our TPE coaches, Jason Smith. Uh, and he was telling me that he has gotten into the habit of floating a lot of check raises on the flop because so many players are implementing the check raise strategy on the flop and then giving up like close to 100% of the time on the turn unless they actually have something. So he's calling a lot of those check raises and then taking it away on the turn with the float. So now you're counteracting that strategy by check raising the turn as well. So yeah, I think maybe put mixing that in a little bit more going forward is probably a good idea because, you know, players are getting kind of hip to the idea that this uh, flop check raise isn't always, uh, you know, super strong value. You said it yourself earlier. I'm I'm always trying to stay one step ahead. So yeah, absolutely. All right. So now we just have uh, half the pot left on the, uh, on the river here. So we're pretty pot committed, I would say. Pot committed, but how do you play it? Right. So how would Clayton Fletcher play it? What's the card? Rivers and eight pairs the board. So eight, final board is eight four deuce with two clubs, offsuit king, offsuit eight, eight four deuce, king eight. Okay. Well, you already said yourself that because of the sizing on the turn, our opponent only has a half the pot uh, bet size left, so he's less likely to bluff for that sizing than he would be had we left him closer to a pot size bet behind. So for that reason, and for that reason only, I think the play here is to bet. Um, Now we could bet small, really, really small, and just see if we can eke out a little more value or see if we can get him to spaz. But again, with him having such a small stack now, I just think I would put it all in. And, uh, you know, expect to sometimes get called by better, but usually when we're called, I I still think our pair of fours is going to be just fine. Yeah, I just had a tough time coming up with what he's going to call River with. I guess he could call with Deuce X and it'll go check check if he does have Deuce X and I missed some value there. But I figured that if he does have a four, we're chopping now. So I don't care if it goes check check because even if I had him kickered on a four, that's now a chop. Uh, If he did float me with overs or whatever and turn a king, it's going to go in regardless. Yeah, that sucks, but it happens. Yeah, I mean, it's going to go in regardless if he has a both likely to get him, to, and I'm more likely to get him to spaz out with 3, 5, or 6, 7 if I check 
or even ace three, ace five, if he decides not to take his ace high showdown value. And those are hands that might have called a, sh- called a shove on the river anyway, too. So that's worth consideration in addition to the deuce X. So like the deuce X and the ace high calls are an argument for value betting and value shoving the river. But I felt like I probably wasn't getting called by those hands for the river shove, even though for half pot, I guess you just ends that way. Um, but I really felt like I wanted to get busted flush draws. I mean, he could have a worse flush draw. Obviously, I blocked those. But the hands I most, uh, I was mostly targeting by checking river were six seven and three five. Uh, six seven bricked its double gutter. Three five or five six, not six seven. Because uh, five six bricks its double gutter. Three five um, bricks its open ender. I don't block either of those hands. Those hands are also more likely for him to have than the unpaired hands. Um, so the, all the deuce X's are blocked by the deuce on the board, and he full, uh, he doesn't necessarily raise as many of them pre. But I think 3-5 especially suited, and definitely 4, mostly just going with a raise or fold strategy, so I figured he's probably raising those. Um, I check, he shoves, and I... Beat him to the pot because I had already decided if he shoves him calling. And he had the 3-5 offsuit for the busted open ender. Wow, and he still tried to bluff it even though... Now, his river shove gives you such an enticing price. I don't think there are too many hands you can fold. I mean, I guess if you had just a busted flush draw yourself, that's really his only bluff target, really, right? If you didn't have a pair. Yeah, this is like also his. It's the perfect hand for him to bluff too, because it's just absolutely no showdown value. So even if I just fold uh, whatever random hand that plays the board, it's it's a huge win for him. That's why I wanted to put him in that spot. I felt like he was going to have a hand that just couldn't call the river. Yeah. A lot of the time. Yeah. No, this is a really interesting hand. Uh, I'm surprised that he would go for it there, but I understand. You know, theoretically you want to have the bottom of your range and when you have the bottom of your range, you should be more likely to bluff than when you have showdown value. And obviously five high is never going to win the pot. Um, so yeah, if he can occasionally get you to fold a hand that, like the you ul- said, plays the board or whatever, hand. the ultimate bottom of your range hand. Yeah. Five high. So yeah, that does make sense. Um, yeah. Well, nice hand. So yeah, you got him to spaz, even though, yeah, I do think in retrospect, uh, on fourth street, your sizing is too big. Uh, it still worked out, and you got him to eventually spaz out. So, nice work. Thank you, sir. Worked out just fine. Yeah. And how much did you win for that for that one? Do you remember? 23K. <laughs> That's a good day at the office. It was a good start. I, uh, I Actually, that was very shortly after I found out that uh, my great-nephew Jason... Uh, who's two years old, his cancer had spread to his spinal fluid where there was, quote, nothing the doctors could do. So I told me poker, and I was like, no, I'm just going to use this as my motivation to crush. And spent a week winning everything before I took a month off to drive across the country for uh, his memorial. And now my nephew, the baby's father, who's 23, moved in with me. I've been close with him since he was really young and I'm trying to help him get through this. And this is one one of the big motivations for me in supporting St. Jude now more than ever. Wow. Well, I'm just so sorry for your, your loss and your family's loss. 
And, you know, you're a good man, you know, taking somebody in like that and, you know, helping your family out where you can. I think family is very important, too. And, you know, just some things in the world are actually more important than poker. And so uh, one thing I love about talking to you is that you seem to have the proper balance. Like, yeah, maybe you're not playing in the super high roller bowl against the Germans who live, drink, breathe and sleep the game. But, you know, you do have your priorities in line. And, you know, I, I for one, really appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. Yeah, well, I think we've taken up enough of your time. Uh, you want any anything you want to tell people? Are you doing any coaching? Uh, do you want people to follow you on Twitter? Like, what can I do for you now that you've helped me out by being my guest? Sure. Twitter is Matt Stout Poker, same as my Twitch. Uh, and, yeah, I do private coaching, 200 for one hour, 350 for two hours. You can reach me at Matt Stout Poker at Gmail. Uh, if you want more information on that. Well, Matt, thank you so much for uh, coming back on the show. Uh, continued success. I hope that I don't see you at the tables on WSOP.com. So for Matt Stout and for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you all so much for listening. Love it, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun.